Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Morning. Our scripture reading will be through from Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17, which in your pew Bible is page 851. Now when Jesus heard that John has been put into prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to pray and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This gravelly voiced man, and what has he done with my preacher? You may be thinking those words. I have been pushing through severe allergies all of this week. And some of you know from our VBS work days, I've, I've been dealing with, with oncoming laryngitis, which of course uh, has caught up with me for sure. Um, I do have my uh, medicine here to help me make it through the sermon today, but uh, I'm using uh, this sermon to decide whether or not I will be seeking one of you brothers to substitute for me tonight in teaching the adult class, but we will see. Uh, so all that aside, I hope my voice lasts through this sermon because, man, is this ever a thought that I hope that we can all uh, let sink in and take with us today as we continue our study of the subject of repentance which is one of the most important and fundamental uh, subjects in the whole Bible. There's no such thing as being a Christian if you have not made the decision to turn from your sinful ways to make that change that our Lord commands us in the Scriptures to make. And that does not mean that we somehow overcome every aspect of human weakness and become perfect this side of eternity. That's not possible. But it means that we do make a change in our hearts of our loyalty. So that based upon our belief and our trust in the Lord, we make the decision to give our lives over to Him as His service to be loyal to Him. And we strive to live lives that bear fruit in keeping with that change. In the book of Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The common English Bible renders the same passage this way. There is a path that may seem straight to someone, but in the end, it is a path to death. We're going to see uh, that the parent, well, the lesson, I'm going to, we're, we'll talk about parent here in a minute. But the lesson that we're going to look at today is something that I think relates to the teaching of this passage in an important way. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own, that we're not able to direct our paths. And so the question I want us to ask as we think about these passages, 
Seeing that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah also tells us that. Learning from these passages that it is very possible for a human being to think that he or she is on the right track in life, on the right path that is going to lead to blessing and success, and yet it costs them their lives in this life, or even costs them their eternal lives in the sense of costing their souls. That's Proverbs 14, verse 12. And Jeremiah telling us here that our lives are not our own and that it's not within us. We are actually not capable of directing our paths in a way that leads to salvation. And so the question I want to ask is how can we know that we're on the right path? Because repentance is about turning from the path that leads to death and, and getting on the path that leads to life. Well, the answer to that question is that we need to have the eyes and ears of our hearts opened by God to see His footsteps and to hear His voice. In other words, we need inner transformation. We need to have a change to be made on the inside of us, in our minds and in our hearts. And when the Bible talks about this change that we call repentance, it, uh, it speaks of it in various in words that, that bring up in our minds very stark contrasts. For instance, we are dead in our trespasses and sins outside of Christ before we come to Him in faith and in repentance and obedience to the gospel. But when we have been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Beloved, we are now God's children. We are alive from the dead, and we are to so arrange our minds that just like a child, will lean upon every word of his mother and father and trust them implicitly. So we are to lean on every word of our Heavenly Father and trust Him implicitly. Over the course of this week, of these next four days, as uh, we have this year's uh, Vacation Bible School, I want to encourage us all to be praying about it because we have no idea what good might be done through this ministry that uh, we may be able to have a lifelong impact on some children in the community that may not otherwise uh, be blessed to have regular teaching from God's Word. We may be able to reach an adult, a parent, just anyone who might be our guest this week with the Gospel, and I would ask you to be praying about that. One of the things that those of you that are going to be teaching this week are going to be talking about are four parables of the Lord. And I don't have time to talk about each of those four parables today that you'll be uh, discussing this week, but I do want to spend some time with the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not sure which night of the week we'll be talking about the prodigal son, but it'll be one of the nights this week. And it is one of my favorite parables, and it's a very important one when we think about the subject of repentance. And so I want to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Luke 15, and I'll be reading from verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. That's page 925 in your pew Bible. Jesus said, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the father of them said, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, that's about as low as you can go for a Jewish boy. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Pardon me. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, for his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came... Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now I hope that we are all, to one degree or another, familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. It's so important. Not all of us have necessarily been the prodigal in our lives. Some of us may have been the older brother in this parable. And, and Jesus is in fact talking to and about the people that, that, the, uh, that, that the older brother and younger brother in the story of the parable of the son represent as he's telling this story. But because the occasion of this parable was grumbling on the part of those that the older brother represented which were those who were considered to be the faithful ones in Israel. The scribes, the Pharisees, uh, those who were a part of the community that had been faithful. They went to synagogue every Sabbath and they went to temple during all the festivals and they were keeping the law to the best of their abilities. Uh, but in some cases they became self-righteous about that. And they believed that Jesus, if he truly was the Messiah, ought to be living in a way that he would keep himself absolutely separate from people that they considered to be sinners, folks that they did not see as having uh, the right to be ministered to by the Messiah, the Son of God. But Jesus was ministering to these people and these folks that the religious establishment had written off as hopeless, just put them in the category of, of being sinners and kind of just, you know, chucked them out of their lives and out of their concern. Jesus administered to these people and they were repenting from their sins. They were turning from the evil lives that they'd been living, and they were embracing the message of Christ. And as a result, Jesus was partying with them. They were having a great time because of the changes that had been made in their lives. But the religious establishment didn't like that at all. And so this parable is designed to speak about both those to whom Jesus was ministering, those who had been rebelliously in sin, who now were embracing Christ, as well as those who would have been a part of the, the faithful religious establishment and to help them to understand what his call as Messiah actually meant for them both. Let's talk about the level one interpretation of this passage. We're going to talk about two levels of it. 
because there's some things that are on the surface. And when I say they're on the surface, I'm not meaning they're less important. These are maybe even things that are more important for us to get our first time reading through because they're so fundamental to us understanding what it means to turn from the world and from Satan's service to Christ. But we'll talk in just a minute also about some level two things, some things that are a little deeper in this context that are for those of us that are maturing in the faith and want to understand a little more uh, about what the parable is based upon and, and how deeply applying its message to our lives should change us. First of all, the parable of the prodigal son teaches us that sin starts out as fun, but it always betrays you. Who in this room has learned that lesson the hard way? Yeah, uh, kids, I will never tell you that sin is not fun. Now, I'm not going to tell you every sin is fun. There are some sins that are just bad from start to finish, and there's never any pleasure in them at all. But most of the sins that are going to be tempting to you are things that are going to, you're going to think that these are things you want. You're going to think these are desirable things. You're going to think these are things that are going to make your life better, that are going to provide for you fun. And let me tell you, just being honest with you, some of those things will be fun. If you do them, they'll be fun. You'll have a great time. But what you don't understand is that God is not trying to rob you of joy in life. He's not trying to rob you of a good time. What he's trying to tell you is that these temptations are to embrace a wolf in sheep's clothing. What he's trying to tell you is that the outer package that deceives you into thinking that this is going to start good and end good is a lie. What he's trying to tell you is even if it is fun for a little while, in the end, it's going to hurt you and it might even kill you. And so I urge all of us in here, young and old, to appreciate the warnings of the Word of God and listen to the teaching and recognize that there is nothing that God has forbidden that is any good at all no matter whether it seems like it would be good for a short time or not. If God has directed us against it, he's done so in our best interest. Sin will grind you down until you have no dignity left at all. I have watched people with my own two eyes combing through filthy carpet looking for fragments of a crack rock because they've run out just devoid of dignity, just like rats rummaging through the trash. That's what sin makes out of people if you give in to it. And I tell you that boldly because that's the reality of the world. And sometimes we older brothers in the story of life, and I know some of us in this room need to think of ourselves in that way, sometimes we get separated from the reality of what sin is doing to people that are not a part of the church and don't have the protection and the comfort and the padding that the community of God's people gives us. And we need to understand that, that we're not immune to that, that if we allow the devil into our lives and begin to pursue things secretly maybe that we know are sinful and we're thinking, well, I'm just going to kind of go through this phase and I'll wrestle with this and then I'll get over it, it will grind you down. That's what sin does. Sinners are only friends while it's still fun. When you fall, they flee. And they're gone. Because sin does not want to suffer. Sin does not want to sacrifice. Sin does not wish to be helpful at the cost of its own enjoyment. Sin is all about me and about mine 
and about fun and who cares about you. That's sin. And it will leave you alone and broke and ruined. And this is why God tells us we ought to run from it. We think about the prodigal son's experience in this story. As we read of him in the far country having wasted the portion of his father's possessions that was his inheritance. As he'd wasted that on uh, partying, the party life there, he came to a realization when he was out in the fields feeding the swine, the pigs. Again, remember the pig is like the uncleanest of the uncleanest of animals as far as the law of Moses is concerned. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm pushing through. Okay, so bear with me. Say a prayer for me if you would that I can make it to the invitation here today. Uh, this is funny to me, but anyway, give me a second. All right. So when he's out in the field there feeding those swines, he comes to a realization. I, I said earlier that we need to have the eyes of our minds, of our hearts open, the ears of our hearts open. I wasn't just saying that to be poetic because we, we see both of these things happening in this parable. And we're not talking about your physical eyes. We're talking about the eyes of your mind, the eyes of your heart. In other words, we're talking about the ability for you to think accurately and realistically and to perceive correctly in your thought process so that you can recognize good from evil and right from wrong. And so the prodigal son, while he was in the midst of this horrible state and was starving because nobody in that land of sinners cared anything about him at all, they'd had a great time partying on his dime until his dime was gone. Now he could die as far as they was, were concerned. And he comes to himself and realizes the truth about the world. He realizes that his mess is all his own fault. That he has a need for change. Verses 11 through 16 of Luke 15. And so he came to himself. Which means that he, 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 he fell into sync with reality. He came to perceive things realistically. And so the first thing he did is he humbled himself before his father. He worked through his mind and recognized what he was going to say to his father if and when he made it home. He was going to tell him that uh, he had sinned against heaven and against him. He was no longer worthy to be called his son. Make him one of his own servants, one of his hired servants. And he would just go out and work in the field for a wage. And so the prodigal son humbled himself before his father. And we see when he comes to his father in the parable, that's exactly what he said. He didn't change his mind. He didn't mince words. He said, this is my fault I was wrong. I don't deserve your favor or love. I don't deserve to be considered your son. Just please, if you would, give me a job and I'll work for pay. But then he rejoiced at his father's words as his ears were opened to the grace that was shared with him. Now, of course, I trust that you recognize, and if not, let me make it real simple for you. The prodigal son represents the publicans and the sinners that had been listening to Jesus and had been turning from their sins. And they were maligned by those who were the religiously faithful of Jesus' day because they'd just been partying all their lives. They'd just been living, you know, the sinful life, just looking out for number one and living for the pleasures uh, that could be found in this earth. But now they had recognized, their eyes had been opened. And they weren't making any excuses for the sinful lives they'd been living. They were coming to Jesus and saying, this has all been my own fault. And they were embracing the gospel and turning to him. And so uh, the father represents God the father, of course, whom Jesus was representing, who had received these former sinners, had cleansed them from their sins, 
had put the robe on their back, so to speak, the ring on their finger, so to speak, had killed the fatted calf, so to speak, and was celebrating at their return to faithfulness. So we learn a lot about repentance from thinking about the prodigal son and his father. But what about the older brother? You see, the parable really is for the older brother. The parable is not for the publicans and sinners that had turned to Christ. They weren't wrestling with that. They'd already embraced Jesus. They were already accepted by him and they knew it. They were living with him. They were having fun with him. They were, uh, they were hanging on his teachings and trying now to change their lives and obey them. This parable is not for them. The parable of the prodigal son is not for the people out here in the city of Laverne today that didn't bother to get up and come to church and have no uh, concept of, of God's rights upon their lives. That's not who this parable is for. Now it will teach a great message to them about the nature of their heavenly father and how he will receive them if they will come to him in repentance. But the parable was given for the older brother. It was given primarily to teach those who are the faithful. And so in 2023, the parable is to the church. It's to those of us who are the faithful of God. It is to warn us that repentance is not just a step that someone takes. Repentance is not just uh, some kind of, of interaction or some kind of, of exchange or some kind of deal that we come to when we're coming to Christ that is then no longer a part of our lives. The lesson is to teach us that repentance is actually a state of being. It's a state of mind. It's a state of embracing the will and the work of God to become partners with God, to begin seeing the world the way that God sees the world so that the things that God would have us to do are what we will want to do. So the people that God wants to save will become the people that we want to save. And when we have the mindset of God about the lost in the world, we can never be like the older brother in his story. We need to repent of it if we are. You see, he possessed, listen, the older brother most likely possessed twice the wealth his brother had wasted. You see, when the younger son came to the father, he said, divide the portion of, the, of your wealth that comes to me. And if you notice the language in the parable, it says the father divided his possessions among them, his older son and his younger son. His older son had the birthright. And the whole implication of this parable is that this father is certainly a law-abiding Jew. And therefore he had taken his possessions and he had divided into thirds. Two-thirds of it went to the firstborn. That was the law of Moses. One-third of it went to the younger brother who took it and went away and wasted it. The older brother is left here with twice the wealth that his younger brother has wasted. Can you think of ways that that is true about us? I will tell you, to say that I'm twice as wealthy in blessings as those in the world are is the greatest understatement of anything I've ever said in my life. And I'm a thousandfold more blessed, a thousand times richer than any unbeliever in the world. I'm a thousand times more blessed than any Christian who's living an unfaithful life. And of course, this is what Jesus' original audience would definitely have recognized about this story. And therefore, we need to recognize it as well. The older brother had no legitimate case to make against his father. He had no case to make at all. He was not in the right 
to criticize him for celebrating at his brother's return. And neither were the scribes and Pharisees right for not celebrating at the return of these publicans and sinners that they thought they were better than. He thought highly of his own loyalty to his father. In other words, in contrast to his brother, who had, of course, learned the hard way, but nevertheless, the older brother was not humble about his position in relationship to his father. He said, I have always been loyal to you. I've never in any way disobeyed your voice, and you've never given hold on a minute. Yes, the father was still alive. Yes, he was still using his own possessions, but he had already deeded them over to that oldest boy. Are you hearing me? His self-righteousness blinded him to the blessings that God had showered him with if we make the application to ourselves. And so his jealousy made him judgmental rather than evangelistic, rather than loving, rather than a redeemer. He became a condemner. So that's level one. That's what we might call just the most obvious interpretation of the parable of the prodigal son as we think about the subject of repentance. But let's go to level two. Let's go a little bit deeper for just a few minutes. You see, this parable plays against the backdrop of a theme in Scripture, one that we find repeated regularly in the Old Testament. And we find its fulfillment and application in the New Testament in passages like ours today. You see, in Genesis, which is the foundation of the biblical worldview, this theme of brotherly rivalry starts with Cain and Abel. You know that story, right? But it doesn't end there. There's a sense in which the theme of brotherly rivalry is alive in the lives of Abraham and Lot. It's one of the few situations in the Old Testament in which the older brother figure makes the sacrifice. You see... Abraham and Lot are not brothers literally, but they consider themselves brothers ethnically. Uh, Abraham was Lot's uncle. But when their flocks grew, their herds grew to the point that the lands that they were traveling through couldn't support them both. Abraham came to Lot and he said, you choose where you want to go with your herds and I'll go wherever you reject. And so Lot, of course, chose the very best land he could see, which ended up backfiring on him. Abraham took the less, the less green land, the less rich land. He made that sacrifice. And he's the father of the faithful, one of the reasons why he's one of our examples to imitate. But there is, of course, Jacob and Esau, the rivalry there. And, of course, Joseph and his brothers, the rivalry there. And, and Genesis abounds with these brotherly rivalry stories because, brothers and sisters, this is the story of the world. This is the essence of what sin does. Sin pits us against each other. That's always what it ultimately ends up doing. And that's what was happening in the midst of Israel during the ministry of Christ. Let's go back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at 1 through 12. And I hope you will notice some interesting parallels here. Genesis 4 verses 1 through 12. Let's read the story about the sad circumstances of Cain and Abel. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass 
Pardon me. It came to pass that Cain um, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell, which means, you kids, it means he was slumping. He was sad. He was having self-pity about himself, right? Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel. Now there's maybe a footnote in your Bible, because I believe it's a Septuagint that actually adds the phrase, let us go out into the field. And that's significant, because the Septuagint was the Bible Jesus and the apostles primarily used, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. All right, but continuing the passage. Uh, now, it, it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother, against Abel his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now, there are some real similarities to the parable of the prodigal son and the account here in Genesis chapter 4. First of all, whenever the son, the prodigal son, came home and had humbled himself before his father and expressed his repentance, the very next line we read in Luke 15 is that the older brother was out in the field. Now, why did Jesus need to give us that little detail? Possibly it's just an incidental detail that just helped him with the storytelling. Maybe it just was to represent that, in fact, the older brother had been faithfully active in service to the Lord. But considering that the passage in Luke 15 definitely taps into the brotherly rivalry situation and that the situation of the field is so prevalent in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 4 in the story of Cain and Abel that I, I think that we're called to be making some connections. And of course the people to whom Jesus is primarily teaching this parable would be those who in Israel knew the Bible the best. They knew these stories the best. And when thinking about brotherly rivalry, they were very well aware of that theme in the Old Testament. And hearing that phrase that the brother was out in the field, I think many of them would have connected those dots. And the point that Jesus is making here is that these righteous Jews, and Jesus doesn't insult them in the parable. The father doesn't insult them in the parable. The father says in the parable to the older brother, when he comes to complain, he says, my son... He is received by the father as a son. He says, you're always with me, the father says to the older son. He commends him for his past loyalty. And he says, all that I have is yours, which was literally true. He had already needed it over to him. Then he said, why do you want your brother to be dead? Are you hearing what I'm saying? He said, why? Why? Do you want your brother 
to be dead. That's the point. Jesus came to call the dead back to life. Not to kill those who are already dying. It has sometimes been said that the church kills its wounded. And I'm grateful that I do not believe that that is very much the case here at Laverne at all. But as the Apostle Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yes, doctrinal truth is of the utmost importance. We absolutely must be loyal to God with all of our hearts. And as his faithful children, we must turn away from sin. And yes, holiness requires that we maintain separation from sin. And that is, in fact, one of the realities of living the penitent life. It is seeking to be holy. And that is to separate ourselves from sin and to a certain degree from sinners. We need to protect the influences in our lives. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. But we've got to recognize that those that have been misled, those whose influence we want to guard against, those whose lifestyles we are being holy and trying to stay clean from and pure from and separate from are nevertheless fallen in rebellion, fallen in rebellious children of Almighty God just like we are. And he loves them just as he loves us. And he has given us faithful, penitent, baptized believers in our families. He has given us all that he has. It is ours. There is no reason to doubt the power of his presence or the reality of his love in our lives. It is the fundamental reality that our lives are built upon. And so how could we, how could we be upset if God throws a party because a sinner has come home? How could we possibly allow ourselves, elevate ourselves to be the judges of such a one? The prodigal's embrace of and dedication to moral failure was a problem he had to repent or turn from, and he did. The older brother's envy, judgmentalism, and hypocritical spirit of unforgiveness were problems he had to renounce and abandon as well. But the deeper message of repentance in the parable of the prodigal son is about the deeper problem with how we all learn to see ourselves and learn to see others and learn to see the world we live in from the world's point of view. That is from the point of view of selfishness, from the scarcity mentality that implies God is poor when he is not poor. God is capable of blessing every single man, woman, and child on this planet abundantly if they will have faith. But because of selfishness, because of the scarcity mentality, I got to get mine before you get yours, sin makes us into rivals rather than into brothers. And this is one of the greatest tragedies of the history of our world. We need to have the eyes and ears of our hearts opened by God to see his footsteps 
and hear his voice. We need inner transformation. We need to be moved from being dead in the trespasses and sins through the new birth to be born again, beloved children of God. Remember last week I said for things to change, you have to change. For things to change in Israel, those hard-headed old religious Jews had to change. For things to change in America, I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that the church in America is also going to have to change. And I believe we need to have the eyes of our hearts open to realize that there are many in this community who are yet living sinful lives, wasting their gifts and talents in prodigal living, who will turn to God if we will reach out to them in love. And I hope that you can take that message into your heart because there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The prodigal son was on that pathway and he was blessed to come to his senses. He abandoned self-guidance and chose a lifestyle of total, remember what he said, just make me your hired servant. He chose a lifestyle of total dependence on his father. My brothers and sisters, that's the change we all need to make. This morning you're subject to the invitation of the gospel. The opportunity is yours. The front pews are open. If you need the prayers of the church, come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.